0: Well, the X-ray is an amazing invention, isn't it? Um, Do you know how X-rays were first uh, discovered? Well, this week in history, in 1895, uh, there was uh, a physicist by the name of William Röntgen, this is him, Wilhelm Röntgen, and he was conducting experiments on electron rays to see if he could figure out if they could pass through glass or not. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. But that's what he was doing. And while he was doing that, uh, he noticed that there was a glow coming from this nearby chemically coated screen. And so he figured there has to be some kind of invisible rays causing these glows. And he called those rays -rays, x-rays, the x being the uh, unknown in a mathematical equation. So they became x-rays. Well, Further experiments showed that X-rays are actually electromagnetic waves uh, that act like light waves, but with uh, wavelengths that are about a thousand times shorter than light waves, and that makes them invisible to the human eye. And so uh, after more research, he learned that uh, X-rays can penetrate the human flesh, uh, but they don't penetrate higher density matter like bone or lead. And so uh, you're able to photograph them and you can see uh, what is uh, passing through uh, the physical flesh. And so with that discovery, the X-ray was born. And this is the first X-ray ever taken. Uh, This is of Wilhelm Röntgen's wife's hand. Uh, So isn't that cool? Uh, Well, X-rays soon became an important diagnostic tool, of course, right, in medicine, allowing doctors to see inside the human body as they had not been able to do before. Uh, and without surgery. And in 1897, x-rays were used for the first time uh, on a military battlefield during the Balkan War, where they were using x-rays to look inside and see uh, if there were bullets or broken bones. They were able to see that with the x-ray. So scientists were quickly able to realize the benefits of x-rays, but they were much slower uh, to recognize the dangers involved in x-rays. So they believed that x-rays passed harmlessly through our flesh, just like light would pass our flesh, but within a few years, researchers began to report skin burns and uh, other kinds of damage to the skin after exposure to these these X-rays, which were emitting radiation that they weren't aware of. And in 1904, uh, Thomas Edison's assistant actually died of skin cancer uh, as a result of being exposed extensively to X-rays. So finally, scientists began to realize that uh, these invisible rays can be beneficial, but they can also be dangerous and even deadly. And that's very much related to what we're gonna be talking about today uh, in this invisible war. Uh, The same things could be said of the spiritual realm. There is so much going on that our eyes cannot see, uh, uh, just like Ronkin couldn't see the x-rays. There is a spiritual battle going on around us that our eyes can't see. They're not at the wavelengths that our eyes can pick up. And so uh, we don't read very far into the book of Job, do we, before we realize that there is this cosmic battle going on uh, between good and evil. Uh, Job never knew it hit him, right? Uh, Satan uh, uh, threw everything he had at him, trying to make him curse God. Uh, And God allowed Job to undergo a certain amount of suffering up to the point of taking his life. Uh, and so there was this unseen battle going on in Job's life that he had no idea was happening. And in Daniel 10, uh, Daniel gets a glimpse uh, behind the curtain, as it were, uh, to this invisible war that's going on uh, that most of the time uh, we human beings never get to see. And so uh, what Daniel saw is that there are some uh, there are some heavenly beings, angels, who are good uh, and who serve God and who serve us. Uh, but there are also others uh, who are uh, fallen angels. These are saints demons and they mean to destroy us. So the context of Daniel 10, he's just received a revelation and this wore him out and left him anguished. And we, as the readers, we get no details about what this revelation is in all of chapter 10, uh, because we have to wait until chapter 11 to get the details of the revelation. All of chapter 10 is just about this spiritual warfare that delayed the angel that God sent to aid Daniel in understanding this revelation. So we need to take from this that spiritual warfare is real. Uh, and, and we have to understand that the, that, that the Bible mentions Satan and his demons many times, right? We, we can read throughout the gospels and there are demons throughout. Uh, Satan is mentioned uh, and, and Satan's schemes are mentioned. But, but I wonder if, if you and I really think seriously about Satan, his schemes, this unseen realm, demons all around us who mean us harm. Uh, I wonder if we take them seriously. And and I wonder if we're doing all that we can to protect ourselves in this spiritual battle uh, so that we uh, are able to stand firm. Now, if somebody wanted to break into your house, right, you would do all you could to protect yourself. You'd lock your door. You'd arm the house alarm. And you would keep your guns loaded, right, and ready for that intruder. That's what you would do. Uh, So we should do the same in our spiritual lives. And I think that will be the lesson for today. So let's just look at the setting of Daniel chapter 10. And this is just verse one. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. All right. So chronologically, we're now in the third year of Cyrus, ruler of Babylon. So that's 536 BC, which is as late as the book of Daniel goes. Now, assuming that Daniel was born in 620 BC and that he was taken captive at about 15 years old in 605 BC, uh, that would make Daniel in his mid-80s now uh, in 536 BC. Now, Cyrus had issued a decree allowing the Jews to return from Babylon back to Jerusalem in 538, about two years earlier. Uh, But most likely Daniel stayed in Babylon because uh, his age would have made that trip difficult and because he was very useful where he was in Babylon. He was serving as God's representative there and as representatives of the Jews who were living in Babylon too. Uh, So, Uh, It just goes to show you that that God can plant you wherever, or He can use you wherever He has planted you, right? Daniel got ripped up, ripped away from everything he knew as a teenager, and planted miles and miles away in Babylon, and yet he had a fruitful and productive life. God used him mightily where He planted him. Now, Daniel called himself Belteshazzar, and I think he did that to to give continuity uh, because he was called Belteshazzar earlier in the book. So uh, he wanted to to reassure us as the readers that this is the same Daniel uh, who was talking in the earlier parts of the book. And you remember in the earlier parts of the book, uh, Daniel had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's two dreams, right? Uh, He had done that, and then he had uh, interpreted Belshazzar's vision of the handwriting on the wall, And then Daniel received his own visions, uh, visions given to him personally. He saw the the vision of the four beasts, and then the vision of the ram and the goats, and then the vision of the 70 weeks. And then this here, uh, the vision that we'll get the details of in chapter 11, uh, this is the fourth vision now that Daniel has pertaining to Israel's future. And what we learn uh, from from Daniel's perspective is that he says uh, that the message was true and was one of great conflict. Uh, And so this is why he began to pray earnestly Uh, So let's look at what Daniel uh, did in response to this message. This is verses 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the three weeks were completed. All right, so if we took verses 2 and 3 and then added verse 12 to it, verse 12 talks about prayer. So we can assume that Daniel was praying uh, during these three weeks as well. Three full weeks. Now remember, Daniel had the vision of the 70 weeks not long ago. This was just a couple years earlier. And remember that in, in that vision, Daniel uh, in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel told Daniel uh, that there was going to be a, a, a time of hope in the future for Israel. But uh, Daniel understands that that as a result of this vision that he's had, any hope that he's got for lasting peace in the present uh, really is going to be shattered by this vision, as we'll see when we get into it in chapter 11 next week. And Daniel understood this. He saw the conflict coming, and this is what caused him distress. So he was praying not because he didn't understand the significance of the vision, but because he did understand the significance of the vision and what that meant uh, for his people so during this time, during this three-week period, he abstained from tasty foods, choice foods for three weeks. Now, you'll remember all the way back in Daniel 1, right, that Daniel negotiated this, vet, uh, this diet of vegetables uh, with the commander of the officials. He refused to defile himself with any un- unclean foods uh, that they were eating in Babylon, and because of that deal that he made to eat vegetables, and because Daniel was highly esteemed by God, I take these verses to mean uh, that, that, that Daniel was obedient to God, that, that he wasn't violating God's uh, dietary laws. So Daniel's not eating any choice foods now, our our choice foods that he was allowed to eat, uh, meats that that were clean foods to him. Uh, And so he abstained from those and he probably lived on bread and grains and uh, and water and he didn't use any ointment or lotion during that time either. So he wasn't fasting, not eating at all. The idea is is deprivation, not starvation uh, or complete neglect of himself. And he did this for three full weeks. So how did he know to do this for three weeks? Why three weeks? Well, I don't think he did know to do it for three weeks. I think he intended to mourn and to fast for as long as it took until he got an answer to his prayer. And later in the chapter, that we learn that the angel arrived three weeks after Daniel began his prayer. So it was at that time that Daniel knew that his prayer had been answered. Uh, So uh, it's a good lesson for us, isn't it? That we should learn never to give up on praying uh, because sometimes things may be happening in the spiritual realm that we have no idea about, right? And we're going to learn about what happened in the spiritual realm uh, to, to the angel who was coming to Daniel's aid in a minute. But there are things happening in the unseen realm that we know nothing about. So don't give up praying. Daniel didn't give up praying. And three weeks later, he got his answer. So pray and wait on God. His timing is perfect. Now, let's talk about Daniel's vision of the man by the Tigris River. This is verses 4 through 9. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Ufaz. His body was also like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his wor- and the sound of his words like the sound of tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground." Okay, so physically, Daniel is by the Tigris River. Now, the Tigris River, you see Babylon kind of in the middle of the picture there. The Tigris River flowed about 20 miles, at its closest point, flowed about 20 miles away from the palace. So he may have been away on business, or he may have just been looking for a time to be alone with the Lord. Uh, We really don't know. But while he was there, Daniel sees a vision of a heavenly being. Uh, And and some of the others who were with him, they didn't see the vision, but somehow a great dread fell over them anyway. They knew something was going on, so they ran away and hid. Uh, Daniel turned white, and he lost all of his strength. So the question is, who is this? Who did Daniel see? Well, some say he was an angel. And I guess that's possible, but I think a better interpretation of this is that this is a vision of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that Daniel had. Uh, and the reason I say that is because his description is very similar to what we read about the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. This is what it says. In the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were, like, were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So, very similar descriptions. Uh, Those who argue that this is an angel say that the one being referred to here in verses 5 and 6 is the same being that we're going to read about in a few verses when we get to verses 10 to 14. I think it's plain from the reading that that these are two separate beings. Uh, This one is the pre-incarnate Christ and then there's a separate angel that we're gonna read about in verses 10 to 14. And Jesus would certainly not have been hindered uh, by the prince of Persia uh, in verse 13. That's the name of the demon who hinders this angel. Uh, So we know the demons are of course powerful, but they're certainly not powerful enough to stop God. Uh, So I think that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, Daniel's vision was so Uh, brilliant in appearance, uh, that that Daniel was completely sapped of his strength. And as soon as he heard uh, Jesus' voice and heard Jesus' words, he fell flat on his face uh, and fell into a deep sleep. Now, if you are a person who really enjoys sleep, well, here is your vindication. Uh, Sometimes a good nap uh, is is, uh, what we need in spiritual warfare. So uh, enjoy your naps and fight spiritual warfare. Uh, So that's the first section. Uh, Daniel saw this terrifying vision. But now in verses 10 to 21, we'll see how Daniel is comforted by the coming of this angel. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of, self, of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So here, now the vision is not of the pre incarnate Christ. Here, the vision is of an angel. And he touched Daniel and he gave him strength uh, to get up to his hands and knees at least. So imagine him on all fours. And then uh, the angel gives him a little bit more strength and he's finally to get up, uh, but he stood up on two feet, still trembling. And we can only imagine, right, the fear and the awe of seeing a vision of Jesus by the Tigris River and then immediately followed by this angel now who's speaking to him directly. So I think we'd all have the same reaction, right? We would be, we'd be on our faces and then need encouragement and strength to get up. And so now on his feet, Daniel waited for the angel to speak. And Daniel, in, uh, in, the, in verses uh, 12 to 14, uh, the angel tells Daniel what his purpose is. Uh, then he said to me, "'Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days.' Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to days yet future. So the first day that Daniel prayed and mourned and fasted was three weeks earlier than what's happening right now, right? But God immediately heard that prayer. God immediately hears our prayers. And he noticed that Daniel prayed with this attitude of humility and wanting to understand. And so God sent this angel instantly uh, in response to Daniel's prayer to come to Daniel's aid uh, and help him. And so that's why I say this cannot be the pre-incarnate Jesus because uh, obviously this angel, if it was Jesus, would not have needed help uh, to defeat uh, this demon. Uh, Now, who is this angel? Well, since the angel Gabriel had appeared earlier to uh, Daniel in the book of Daniel, a lot of commentators think that this angel is Gabriel, but he's not specifically called Gabriel, so we can't be sure about that. Uh, But uh, this is where it really gets interesting. While this angel is trying to fulfill his duty uh, to come to Daniel's aid, another angel, who is actually a demon, a fallen angel, uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is his name, held uh, this angel up for 21 days. Now, this this demon is obviously not the human king of Persia. Uh, Only a spiritual being could have opposed uh, God's angel. Uh, But for 21 days, for three weeks, there is a spiritual battle going on in heaven that Daniel knew nothing about. And you and I, we can only imagine, like, what would a spiritual battle between one of Satan's demons and one of God's angels look like? What would a battle like that look like? It's beyond our imagination. Now, this, this prince of Persia. He's a fallen angel. He's he's one of Satan's demons. He's under Satan's authority and control. And his mission is to create havoc in Persia. Now, how would uh, somebody in the spiritual realm create havoc in the physical realm? How would that happen? Well, demons have the power to influence people, right? To tempt people to evil, uh, to cause people to act for their own gain, to to behave selfishly, wickedly for their own good, uh, to put others down and lift themselves up. Uh, These are satanic activities. And they can use political means, therefore, to accomplish satanic goals. And so we learn a couple things, at least, uh, from these verses. One is that demons have the power to oppose and even delay God's plan. That, That can happen. They have that power. And of course, we have to remember that God allows their opposition, right? God, in a heartbeat, if he wanted to, could wipe out Satan and all his demons whenever he wants. But somehow, uh, by allowing what he allows, uh, God receives greater glory in the long run by allowing Satan and the demons uh, to exist and to oppose him at the present time. So that's one thing we learn: They have the power to oppose and delay God's plans. And another thing we learned is that demons seem to be assigned to particular areas uh, to disrupt. So this a demon was assigned to Persia, and his job was to disrupt what was going on in, in Persia. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever read uh, the book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, uh, but if you haven't, uh, this ought to be your homework assignment for this week. This is an unbelievable book uh, because it really makes us think about what is going on in the spiritual realm. Uh, in this book, Uh, there is a senior angel, a senior fallen demon, actually, uh, and his name is Screwtape. And he's instructing his junior associate by the name of Wormwood uh, how he ought to ruin this human being's life and and gives him all kinds of insights into the human psyche and how he can can destroy uh, this man who who he's been assigned to. Uh, So I would encourage you to read that. It really will give you a pause to think about this spiritual battle that's going on. Uh, and so it really does make you wonder when you think about it, right? When you think about all the chaos that's going on in the world right now and in our country, this can't all be attributed to human wickedness, right? I mean, some of it can, surely, but it can't all be attributed to human wickedness. Uh, there is a spiritual dimension behind it. There, there is a satanic presence uh, in the spiritual realm that wants to upset our world and ruin us. And so as Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's just a glimpse of what the spiritual warfare looks like. Now, it seems like this uh, demon who was fighting the angel, like they were of equal strength, right? That's why there was a delay. Neither one could defeat the other one. And so it took the presence of a third angel, Michael now, to come in and break this balance of power to free the first angel so he could go and complete his mission uh, to go to Daniel uh, and and help, uh, come to Daniel's aid. And so uh, we learn from this that there is a hierarchy of angels. Uh, and we learn this from other passages as well. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now at that time, Michael, uh, the Uh, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. So he's the great prince. He's greater than others, other angels. Uh, And in Jude 9, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him an abusive judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So this is a title for angel. He's the archangel. He's over other angels. Uh, So there is a rank and Michael is stronger than the first angel that God sent. So just as uh, Satan had assigned the prince of Persia to disrupt the the kingdom of Persia, it seems that God has assigned Michael to defend and protect Israel. Now, Michael was powerful enough to defeat that first demon, free the angel so that he could go uh, and visit Daniel. And the angel now tells Daniel his purpose in coming, to give understanding because Daniel's vision was about what would happen to Israel in the latter days. Now, it already said that Daniel had understanding. so Daniel had some understanding, uh, but the detail that we're going to get about this vision in chapter eleven uh, really is going to be something uh, and he will the angel will explain that uh, to Daniel. So just Imagine being Daniel, right? Imagine having this encounter first with the pre-incarnate Christ, then with the angel, then to hear about this 21-day spiritual battle that was going on. Daniel's mind was blown, right? He had no idea, no understanding that any of this was happening around him. And so, of course, Daniel was speechless. He He had no words to answer this. So you and I might ask, you know, if there was going to be this 21-day battle, and if Daniel was highly esteemed, uh, why didn't God just send Michael in the first place, right? Why why have this battle at all? Well, my only potential answer to this question is that maybe God wanted us to know that there is a spiritual battle going on, uh, that these demons are powerful. And he recorded it in scripture uh, so that we would understand that there are spiritual battles going on all around us and so that we would be aware of them. So maybe that's why uh, he didn't send Michael in the first place. Uh, But Daniel, for his part, uh, he needed to be strengthened again. And this is verses 15 to 17. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. So this angel touching of uh, of the lips is reminiscent of Isaiah chapter 6, right? The the coal on the lips uh, that that purifies Isaiah. Uh, Daniel, for his part, was was anguished by this vision, and he was astonished that, that someone like him, a mere mortal, could talk to an angel of God. So he had no strength or even any breath at all in his lungs. So he still wasn't ready yet to receive this, this message that the angel came to deliver. So the angel encourages him a third time. And here we are, verses 18 to 19. Then this one, with human appearance, touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So there. There took three encouragements, and now Daniel is ready. Uh, Daniel uh, was called highly esteemed in verse 10. And here the angel calls him man of high esteem. So two times in chapter 10. I think what we see from this is that Daniel uh, is highly esteemed by God because of Daniel's incredible faith and because Daniel's uh, heart's desire is to praise God and to glorify him. And so now this third time uh, that he was encouraged, he is finally strong enough to receive uh, the message that the angel had for him. Uh, but that doesn't come until chapter 11. Before that, uh, there are a couple more verses here. And, and in these, the angel tells Daniel about his own personal mission that God sent him on. So this will be verse 20 uh, through chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, do you, then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia, so I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. So... The angel probably uh, asked Daniel uh, if he understood why I came to to you, uh, maybe just to kind of snap him out of this fog that he was in, to kind of focus his attention uh, because he was still so weak. Uh, And then the angel's mission, uh, twofold really, to tell Daniel about the vision that he had received, uh, but also to return to fight against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece who was yet to come. So you'll remember from chapter eight that these two kingdoms were the focus of the vision of the ram and the goat. Uh, Remember the goat uh, uh, that had the the great horn, uh, that represented Greece. The ram was Persia. Daniel had that vision back in 551 BC. So now we're 15 years past that vision. Uh, Persia was the ram that conquered Babylon. And then uh, the goat was Greece that came and conquered uh, Persia. The goat had a horn, but at uh, at the height of its power, that horn broke off Four more horns arose, and then from those four horns, one more horn arose, and we learn that that was Antiochus the, the uh, Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes of Greece, who ruled about 175 to 165 BC uh, in that range. And so these kingdoms that are being prophesied about, these are yet to come, right? These are uh, in the future from Daniel's perspective. Uh, and so it gives Daniel pause to, to think about the whole panorama of, of persecution of Israel, right? Israel has always been persecuted. Uh, Assyria, uh, then Babylon, then, then Persia uh, defeats Babylon. Uh, and still the, the, the Persia is ruling now uh, during Daniel's vision, but the Greek empire is coming. That's uh, still 200 years away. And Daniel had already seen uh, that there was going to be even a further empire uh, in Rome. Uh, so there is constant persecution against Israel. And now the Jews that had been exiled, they're just returning to Israel uh, under Persia's command. Uh, And so what is still future? In 536 BC, when Daniel is having this vision, uh, Ezra had not yet returned uh, to to build the temple. I mean, to build the the temple. Uh, And the wall uh, that Nehemiah built, that hadn't been built yet. And the persecution that we learn about where, where Haman tried to destroy uh, the Jewish people in the book of Esther, that hadn't happened yet. This was all future. So, so this, this angel is going back uh, to fight against the, these angels, these, the, these fallen angels, these demons who are coming, uh, and to fight against the opposition that, that uh, Satan planned against Israel that we see unfolded in the books of Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah. But not just that. I mean, we see God's sovereignty throughout those three books, uh, but we see them even going further into history. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Greek empire isn't mentioned biblically, at least in a historical sense, but uh, the book of 1 Maccabees, which is not a book of our Bible, uh, but it's a historical book, historical book, tells us about Greece's invasion and their treatment of Israel uh, in the intertestamental period. And so Greece defeated Persia in 331 BC, and Satan tried to destroy Israel through the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. He threatened to wipe out the entire nation of Israel before Israel rose up through Judas Maccabeus and took back the temple. So all this, uh, the book of Ezra, the book of Esther, the book of Nehemiah, everything that happens in 1 Maccabees, all this is future from Daniel's perspective, and this is what the angel is going back to fight against. So just imagine the depth of all that. If if Daniel had only known all that was going to happen, we, from our side of history, we know. And we should understand that spiritual warfare is real and it's happening all around us. And and I don't say this to frighten us. Actually, I say it to comfort us uh, because what we understand is that uh, though there are unseen battles in the spiritual realm, God is sovereign over all of it. Uh, So his will will be done. And the angel says that God's will is inscribed in what the angel calls the writing of truth. Now, that must refer to God's plan for all the ages, uh, everything that was going to happen. And Daniel uh, was about to be an insider yet again to this information, uh, this inscription uh, of the writing of truth. And we see now that the angel was part of what God uses to accomplish his will. Remember Hebrews chapter one, uh, talking about angels says, are they angels not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So that's why God created angels, to help us, those who will inherit salvation. And this angel, he assisted Michael in protecting Israel. So clearly, Michael has some kind of special relationship with Israel. He may be God's designated angel to protect Israel even today uh, and in all history. So perhaps he was the one who closed the mouths of the lions so that Daniel uh, didn't get eaten. Uh, perhaps he was the one who helped Zerubbabel build the temple, who helped Nehemiah build the wall and save the Jews by exposing Haman's conspiracy. Uh, that's all in the past to us, but. But have you ever wondered, you know, sitting here now in the present, how Israel could possibly have survived 1,900 years of persecution from various and vicious enemies since the temple was destroyed in AD 70, including the Holocaust, uh, without a homeland for all those years and yet somehow still exists today? Uh, have you ever wondered how a country No bigger than New Jersey, you could probably fit 100 Israels into Texas, no bigger than New Jersey with a population of less than 10 million people uh, with enemies around it on all sides who have sworn to destroy it still exists today. How is that possible? How can Israel possibly exist today? That can only be the work of God through his angels because Israel is God's people and God will not allow Israel to be destroyed. And so it's likely that just as Michael protected Israel 2,500 years ago in the days of Daniel, he's still protecting Israel today. Now, what does this tell us? We live in an age of increasing anti-Semitism. I don't know if you, you know that, but if you read the news, you know that. We're living in an age of increased anti-Semitism. And I hope we can see from God's word in, in Daniel, in Ezra, in Esther, in Nehemiah, that, that there is absolutely no place for anti-Semitism in a Christian. Uh, there, to, to oppose the Jews is to oppose God. And that doesn't turn out well for people who oppose God. So we have no reason and no excuse for anti-Semitism. Verse 11.1 1 belongs really at the beginning uh, or at the end of chapter 10. So we're just going to discuss it here. This is the last bit of encouragement that the angel gave to Daniel before explaining the vision that was to come that we'll look at next week. Uh, he said that he had been encouraging Darius the Mede since he became the king of uh, Babylon a few years earlier. So uh, remember we talked about this a couple times now. Uh, this Darius the Mede, uh, he's not Cyrus the king of Persia, uh, but he's probably the same guy as a man called Guberu, who was the, uh, the, the head of the military command that actually conquered Babylon for Persia. And then Cyrus made Gubaru, also known as uh, Darius the Mede, as uh, Babylon's king. So that is who this man is. And uh, so uh, this angel has been encouraging. uh, Somehow he's been encouraging Darius the Mede. And as Darius the Mede prospers, we see Daniel prosper as well, rising in the kingdom. And so both of Daniel's rise and Darius' prosperity are the results of this angelic uh, protection that they enjoyed. All right, so next week we're going to look at the contents of Daniel's vision, uh, but for now we're going to close with some applications. So the first one is this. Uh, We need to be aware of the battle in the spiritual realm. Satan is real, and as 1 Peter chapter 5, 9 says, he prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now that could be you, and that could be me, if we're not careful, right? He has schemes, he intends to destroy us, and if we give him an opening, he will. So when you're tempted to go on websites that you shouldn't be on, or give special attention to someone who's not your spouse, or to cheat on your taxes, or to exalt yourself at the expense of another, that's Satan's work. That's Satan trying to get you uh, to destroy yourself. Or if you can't resolve a conflict, or when you're stepping out in faith and you're trying to reach the lost, or you're, you're trying to dedicate yourself to more time and prayer and Bible study, and, and it's just not going like you want it to. Something always seems to go wrong. Well, that's Satan trying to gum up the works sometimes. He gets in your way, just like he withstood this angel for 21 days. Uh, so we want, to, we want to be aware of this spiritual battle. Satan puts a target on the backs of Christians who are trying to exalt the name of Christ, lift his name on high, and he figures out a way to make our lives hard. So he wants to discourage us. He wants to distract us, and we can't let him do that. So how do we fight back? Well, we use the tools that God has given us. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, Paul wrote this about the armor of God. He said, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day, having done everything to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." So the spiritual armor is uh, our defense against Satan's attack. Uh, It's the knowledge that we are, first of all, that we are acceptable to God. He has accepted us. Uh, We're acceptable in his eyes because of our faith in Jesus, because we believe that he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead, and we've placed our trust in him for our salvation. So when Satan tells us that we are unworthy, that God could never love us after all that we've done or that God could never forgive us for all the wicked things we've done, those accusations will not penetrate the full armor of God. The love of Jesus overcomes Satan's accusations and he's given us tools to use in our defense. Uh, This belt of truth is our understanding of the Bible's teaching and our desire to follow it. Uh, The breastplate of righteousness represents a believer protecting his vital organs with the word of God and his desire to to live a godly life. The gospel of peace for our feet represents gaining traction in our faith and and trusting God so that we will not retreat and therefore uh, that will yield peace in our lives. We use the shield of faith to deflect Satan's arrows and to reject any temptation to doubt the truth about God and his word and his promises. And a soldier always wore a helmet into battle, uh, as spiritually the helmet refers to our, our sure knowledge of our own salvation and our present safety from Satan's attacks. The battle happens in the mind, right? Half the battle is in the mind, and this is where the victory must be won. Uh, in battle, a soldier would use a sword to strike his enemy. So the spiritual sword is the word of God. Remember when, when, uh, the, uh, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, three times uh, Jesus parried with him by quoting from the word of God, quoting from Deuteronomy. And so that is the sword of the spirit is the word of God and it rebukes Satan and sends him away. And there is a final tool, a bonus tool, in Ephesians 6.18, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And so pray, pray uh, to fight against this spiritual battle. We need to be aware of spiritual battles, but we need to know that we have the tools to defend ourselves and fight God wants us to fight Satan and the discouragement he brings every day. And Jesus wins. That's the good news. We have to always remember that Jesus wins. And that knowledge should give us tremendous joy in the Lord who saved us. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a passage that uh, really uh, shows us uh, something that we don't get to see a whole lot. Uh, And and this spiritual battle that is ongoing, Lord, uh, it's happening all around us today, even as we speak. So, Lord, we pray your protection over us. We pray that we would use the tools you've given us to never let Satan get a foothold in our lives in any way, Lord, that we would continue to fight against him, that we would continue to uphold your truth. We would continue to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what happens to us, Lord. I pray that we would have the strength, uh, as Daniel gained strength from this angel, uh, Lord, to to hear your message and to be faithful witnesses uh, for your son Jesus for as long as you'll have us here, Lord. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.